1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James, and hope you've all had a good international break. And maybe just a little bit of time to reflect on everything to do with Fulham. But off the pitch, it's been a pretty busy one, as I'm sure you'll know. The pay-per-view announcement that came out on Friday, um, that games not selected for live TV are going to cost us in the UK £14.95 to watch them. And that affects Fulham's first three games back in October And of course, you may have seen the news as well about Project Big Picture. Uh, Here to discuss all things off the pitch with me is Farrell Monk. Hello, Sammy. And Chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust, Tom Greatrix. Hello. And of course, Chair of the Football Supporters Association as well. So uh, very, very qualified to talk about all things big picture and pay-per-view we're going to be doing a sheffield united preview later in the show don betts is talking to sheffield united fan traveling blade uh, to get an opposition view uh, ahead of sunday's game but um chaps let's get straight into it and although i personally am fuming about pay-per-view a little bit more than I'm fuming about Project Big Picture. I think we should start with the big picture stuff because it's been the more recent topic and probably is the more long-lasting topic in terms of the potential either benefits or damage it could do to the entire football pyramids. Tom, I know you've been locked in discussions um, either with the FST or the FSA about this pretty much since it dropped at the weekend. Um, The plans are basically that... The Premier League will provide a 250 million pound per season funds to the Football League which on its own sounds okay but of course the big problem is is that the power of the Premier League will go to the top 6 clubs plus 3 more effectively this is a cynical power grab uh, to put it in your words.
2: Yeah absolutely is and it's it's not 250 million pounds a year to the Football League it's £250 million, which is what the EFL have said they need to be able to ensure that clubs survive through COVID. Um, But it's not a gift. It's not a grant. It is effectively a loan that is paid back as revenues increase from the Premier League TV deals in the future and are shared differently, so with 25% going to the EFL. Now, on the surface, that sounds actually quite good. It's about the Premier League taking some responsibility, understanding that you need to sustain the pyramid. But actually, it's not what it seems, because that 25% of future revenues is uh, assumes that TV deal revenues will go up rather than down for domestic TV rights. Um, which I think is highly unlikely given the last one went down for domestic rights and uh, you know the, the sort of medium-term transition in technology suggests it will go that way as well. And also baked into these proposals are the ability for uh, Premier League clubs to be able to sell their rights directly for at least eight games, starting with eight games a season, i.e. undermining the collective TV deal in, in any case. Um, and you're quite right about what the quid pro quo is. It's basically that six clubs will be the controlling majority of everything in the Premier League, rather than one club, one vote, as exists now. And what you're basically doing is saying that the whole of English football will be geared to the interests of the big six clubs, or the current big six clubs, with three others thrown in to sort of be uh, the other the other three of the nine. But, of course, if all the big six... Uh, uh, interests collide and, and, and come together, then they don't need the other three, they can all do it with six. So it's a pretty cynical power grab. It's dressed up as a piece of altruism, and it's presented as an ultimatum. There are lots of problems in English football that need to be addressed. Some of the solutions that are identified are those which the Football Supporters Association others have been calling for, including things about caps on away tickets at £20 and subsidised away travel and safe standing, but this is being done in a pretty cynical way to uh, try to say to EFL clubs and others, we'll, we'll, we'll save you from the immediate crisis, but basically you sign everything away for the future. And I don't think that's a sustainable future for English football and isn't the way in which uh, these sort of changes that are needed, there are not structural changes needed in English football, should be brought about.
0: And Farrell, what's your opinion on this from from a Fulham point of view? They've actually come out and said that they won't agree to this. Um, Some clubs have not commented yet, but as far as I've seen, Fulham have said that they don't agree with these plans. And I guess that's not a surprise, considering that this doesn't benefit Fulham really in any way, shape or form.
3: It doesn't benefit any club outside uh, the top six, as it were, because there are sort of various things in there that sort of sound like, well, that actually sounds like a good idea, but it's actually as as Tom as Tom correctly puts it, it's it's um, it's shrouded in more devious methods of trying what is quite frankly a massive power grab by the by the wealthiest and biggest NIVA six clubs in the country because, you know, it's saying about how, you know, we're gonna give power to the fourteen uh, give voting rights to the fourteen of the top top twenty clubs in the Premier League but actually when you when you actually drill down into the detail it's only the the six top ones who have been and the biggest ones will get the veto rights over everything and we we've seen this in in other sports Um, as some people may know I'm a big follower of Formula One and that's um, a sport that you know for many decades has suffered from um, the agreements between the teams and the sports themselves where only the three of the 10 teams that are there at the moment, actually at at the moment have the power. They have the power over every single rule change that goes into the sport. And as people have seen inside and outside the sport, that it's created a a sport that is very much a closed shot to anyone that could win it at the moment. Thankfully, some changes are being made next year because they've realised how uncompetitive it makes the sport is. Um, So if any of these proposals actually go through... We won't see an open, competi- an open, fair competition. We will see a very unfair, top-heavy um, sport that you know has been sort of going that way. But it will certainly cement it for you know the foreseeable future. And that's exactly not not what we want. We don't want an uncompetitive sport. We want a fair sport where everyone has the ability, the right, the skill to actually win the competition. But what what these proposals means is the complete opposite.
0: But Tom. This has been mentioned before. It's I feel like it's mentioned approximately once a year that there'll be a threat of a breakaway, the big 6 clubs getting annoyed because effectively the rest of the 14 clubs in the Premier League are sponging off their stature and their allure across the world and that they get don't get a fair proportion of the revenues that come into the Premier League collectively. But I don't remember the outcry over one of those news articles or one of these proposals like I've seen in the past few days. What's made the announcement that came, up, came in on Sunday different to all those we've seen before about a, a big six breakaway, a European Super League, et cetera, et cetera?
2: Well, I think the difference is that this time there are a series of proposals that were worked on um, without the knowledge of the majority of the Premier League clubs or the Premier League as the institution itself. So it's pretty extraordinary, you're right, to get something that is effectively leaked in the Sunday paper and by uh, the end of the day on Sunday or early on Monday, you've got the Premier League basically disassociating itself from part of its own, its it's member clubs. Um, And it seems as though, and it's it's slightly bitey about this, but Manchester United and Liverpool primarily, but also with the involvement and tacit support of uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, not sure about Tottenham uh, and Manchester City, so they've all been involved. And what's different this time is that Rick Parry, who is currently the chairman of the EFL, the Football League, um, previously of course Premier League chief executive and chief executive at Liverpool, um, has been heavily involved in developing these plans and becomes the salesman for them effectively when the when when the story was leaked. So that's why I think it's got more prominence, um, and also because. They have, I think, very cynically, some might say very cleverly, um, added in, and at the top of the proposals, if you look at the documents, all about COVID-19 financial rescue fund, because uh, there are clubs really suffering, particularly in League, and League, League 1 and One 2, without any match day revenue, without any crowds. Um, and it's not an exaggeration to say some that are on the brink of going out of business at the moment. Um, and so using that to say, here you go, we'll solve that problem for you, all you've got to do is concentrate the power a little bit more and it's already too concentrated anyway and it will be great for everybody in the future but what that ignores or glosses over is the fact that effectively that leaves six clubs controlling everything in the future and all of the as easy as it is to say well we'll, we'll give 25 percent of tv revenue to the efl in the future there's nothing then that stops them saying in five years time well actually tv and broadcasting has changed we can't afford to do that anymore so we'll go back to a different Uh, methodology and because those clubs are never going to be in in the EFL unlike at least a proportion of the rest of the 14 they're not going to have any interest in what the impact is in the championship and further down the EFL so it's it's a concentration of power that I think is it's been carefully put together quite um, shambolically leaked uh, and the combination of those two things has has meant that's why it's got the reaction that it has over the past few days I think.
0: So Farrell do you think there's any possibility this could happen I mean it's it, I, I, it seems unlikely to me, but as I say you see as Tom was saying you see exactly what they're doing the the EFL's on fire right now the Premier League's there with a fire engine and a hose but is almost demanding conditions for them to put the, the fire out it it's it is unbelievable and you always knew that the Premier League had it in it, but the greed it, it, it's it's mind bogglingly clear
3: the question is is whether I think that the the um this would act proposal would actually go through i don't think it would go through in this form that's for sure um you know the one thing that strikes out to me was this was a working document i think the one that was leaked was actually it said version 17 and this, if anyone's worked on documents before it usually goes to vi- version 17 final final uh, final final version with adjustments um version before it ever goes through um you know there's there's so many there's so many bits and bobs in this document that are troubling, and just I can't imagine a situation where all the Premier League clubs or even the Football League would actually agree to it because it's 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 so disingenuous because it's all as Tom says presented as sort of this rescue plan when actually all it is is a surrendering of power. And thankfully, it was able to be leaked to give the scrutiny it deserves. And there's so many other things that mm. you know that you could actually point to uh, that are just sort of. Um, just <laughs> really without any sort of they're, they're trying to sort of present it again as this press package they're talking about well, oh, we need to get rid of the league cup because it's just not important anymore when actually it is still really important for for the lower league clubs because match day revenue is such an important and prize money is so important to these clubs and they need more more money to, to be coming through and that's and stuff like the league club League Cup is important. Um, and I just imagine a situation further down the line when um, some of these clubs are starting to go um, go under because of the, the the less revenue they're getting in, and the Premier League go Premier League clubs go. Well, um, don't worry, we'll step in and we'll start taking over those clubs, and then effectively you've got the B team situation, the debacle that we had a few years ago, and it's almost like B teams through the back door, um, and which no one really wants because it's kind of the the death knell for so many clubs that have been center of community for hundreds of years. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Fulham could be one of those clubs in the near future.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think it's easy to us looking at us right now in the premier league to think, Oh, this, this all doesn't really affect us, but, and, and probably even if we were in the championship, it wouldn't matter massively affect us because of the, the wealth of our owners. But Tom, we've been in the situation that so many of these clubs in the EFL are in right now. And In only a a couple of different twists of fate, what we're seeing in League One and League Two could be happening to Fulham right now. So whilst we are lucky that really we haven't got to be worried about the future of our club, we just need to put our our foot in some other people's shoes because we very much could be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, what's integral to the survival of the pyramid and the survival of the pyramid is what makes the Premier League and the championship attractive uh, to a whole broad market um, is because you know, teams, including us, including Swansea and Hull and Cardiff and various others you can think of that in the relatively recent period have been in all four divisions, that that can happen. Now, as soon as you start tinkering with the idea of saying uh, the league will only be controlled by six clubs, so who are very, very unlikely to ever to get relegated, therefore moving very quickly to a situation where you don't have relegation, you know, all those sorts of things, they, they massively undermine uh, the the integrity of the game in England and every other club. And we should be thinking about, as I'm sure you'll see that fans groups have, whether they're fans groups of the big six, other Premier League clubs or Football League clubs, who can all see through this and are saying, look, there are big tra- challenges that need to be addressed in English football. The good thing from this might be that it might get the Premier League to actually, the Premier League as a whole, to take seriously what they've been uh, not doing over the past few weeks and and how they're going to support the rest of the Pyramid, but do that in a way which maintains the integrity, because you're absolutely right. You know, if this had happened a few years ago, it would be Fulham that would be in a position of some of those teams of lower divisions, and who knows what might happen in the future, it could be Fulham in that sort of position again. Uh, And that's why we need all our supporters, you know, whether we're Premier League clubs, championship clubs league 1 or league 2 clubs to stand together to support reform that enables english football to see, be sustainable for the future to get through the current crisis and have a much more equitable distribution of the resources that protects the pyramid that enhances the game that maintains the sporting integrity that is that's valued around the world and does it in a way crucially that ensures that there is uh, there is fairness and democracy within the way in which those clubs work, not at the behest of saying we'll sell it, we'll we'll get all this, but we'll do it, um, uh, and the price is six clubs take control. Because if you do, what will happen? It might not happen straight away. It might take a few years, three or four years, but you'll get to a position where those are the predominant interests, and everything else will be will be sacrificed, and we'll end up in a much worse position than we are at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, good luck to everyone at the Football Sports Association. I'm sure they'll be uh, continuing to monitor exactly what happens with with Projects Big Picture. And uh, there's plenty of great resources out there for you if you want to find out more about, about Project Big Picture. And probably the best place to start is with the Football so- Supporters Association website and also the Full of Supporters Trust. Um, bringing me on to my next topic, and, and this is one that I personally... Uh, was banging a drum about earlier in the week. And and weirdly, it's kind of been superseded by a lot of the big project stuff. But personally, I still think it's a a really damaging scenario that we find ourselves in is the the pay-per-view announcement. It came out on Friday that in the UK, and this mostly is something that applies to people in the UK. If you're abroad, then you have different Contracts and broadcasting deals, etc. But in the UK, uh, games not selected for either BT, Sky, or Amazon Prime coverage will now be subject to a pay per view fee of £14.95. Uh, if you want to watch those games, either you go to Sky Box Office or BT Sports Box Office to purchase those matches. So Fulham's three remaining games in October, Sheffield United, West Brom, and Crystal Palace. If us in the UK want to watch them, the only way legally to watch them is to pay that £14.95 fee. Now, I personally think that this is really, really bad news. I think that if you're expecting people here in the UK to not only have a Sky and BT subscription, which run into, let's say, probably 60 £70 a month and an Amazon Prime subscription and to pay these fees on top of that is an enormous amount of money, especially since games have been behind closed doors. We've been experiencing this as part of our packages. We're not getting it for free, but we're kind of getting it as part of our packages. So it it felt palatable in a way. Um, I launched a hashtag on Monday called don't pay the game. Um, Farrell, what were your thoughts, um, when you kind of read into the ramifications of this, uh, pay-per-view deal?
3: Yeah. And I think once again, I think that there is something here where, you know, the Premier League and the broadcasters are trying to find a solution to a problem where fans can't watch their team play every game, which uh, which is such an important part of being like a a, a big football fan. And they've just executed it. Quite badly. Um, I understand that there are costs involved in doing it and I understand that there's a lot of lost revenue here with people not being able to go, able to, go to grounds and pay for tickets and, and whatnot. The clubs are trying to recoup some of that, those funds. I totally understand that. However, the, this whole sort of, it's just totally been blown out of the water by the, the, the 15 pounds, basically. Um, you know, the, broad, the broadcasters have basically said, oh no, we're being the good guys by, by uh, sucking up that cost and only recouping that cost so we're not making profit of it on, on it which is absolutely total bollocks really you know the the whole broadcaster um sort of saying well we're not going to make any money from it is 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 rubbish they the there's cameras and whatnot that are going to the games as you see if a game's not on tv you can watch it on match of the day later later in the evening and as i know that when you sort of put things at cost you can put a load more other costs in there which which are basically sunk costs They actually have them already and they're going to plunk them in to try and earn a little bit of extra on top of it so you know it's the broadcasters trying to sort of frame themselves as some sort of hero is is really really just poor form from them um and it's you know following on from that and you know if we talk about the clubs themselves it's the way that i saw it quite well framed in a tweet or an article somewhere which said something like get a bunch of millionaire billionaires in a room and talk about a 15 pound price what what reaction what decision are you going to get from it of course they're actually going to feel like well there's not that much money don't worry about it when they realize at the moment we're we're in a real um situation where it's a bit of a shit sandwich and everyone's got to take a bite out of it but they're just trying to pass that that sandwich around to, to the people that are going to take the biggest bite, really, and that's and that's the supporters, and especially in the Premier League, when the the clubs that are are going to have to shell out the most amount of money are the Fulhams, are the Burnleys, are the uh, are the West Broms, the teams that aren't going to be on the TV week in week out. So you're going to have a situation not unlike that Fulham have uh, coming up in the next three weeks, where every one of our games in a particular month, we're going to have to shell out 45 pounds to, you know, to watch all of the games when, you know, we're already having, you know, have under previously, we would have shelled out all the subscription fees as well. We're going to be paying hundreds of pounds a month uh, to watch our team play when under a normal circumstance, we would be paying much less than that uh, to watch our team play with a season ticket. So, you know, I feel like the clubs themselves, and I do feel a bit, annoyed and angry that they have decided to, to vote in favour of this price when the Premier League, I think it was the Premier League or, or Sky or BT came with that price and it was basically a take it or leave it situation without any compromise at all. I think it's, I think it's poor, form, poor form from all sides around.
0: Uh, and Tom, what was your feeling on the, on the 1495 price? I saw that you wrote a, an article on the Fulham supporters trust, um, website, and you said the premier league should sit down with supporters and get a better approach as soon as possible. Is there any chance of that happening?
2: Um, the, the short answer is yes. And I think the answer is yes, partly because of actually what we've just been talking about. Um, The uh, project big picture, I think, has concentrated minds in the Premier League a bit. um, And I would be surprised if this lasts longer than October. Um, And I think that's right. I mean, I I see this as a massive missed opportunity by the Premier League collectively. um, Because, as Farrell said, the the reports are they were presented with, this is the figure that it will cost you to be able to, to do it by the broadcasters and they sort of accepted it and said, well, we've dealt, dealt with that issue, which is about uh, fans not being able to to to, to watch games uh, with, with no crowds and thought that was job done. So there's a, therefore there is a, you know, there's a an example of groupthink there that doesn't take into account the circumstances of supporters who are as challenged, if not more so individually economically than clubs are at the current time with You know, number of people that have lost their jobs or are working a lot less and have a lower income because of the wider economic circumstance. But secondly, you've got to remember about this. This is this is uh, a situation where you could have as many people as want to watch those games. So it's not just about the limits of the capacity. So uh, you know, if if you had thirty-five thousand people that wanted to watch Fulham against Sheffield United, for example, they could. You wouldn't be you wouldn't be limited by the by the capacity of of the ground. So if you've got a bigger market potentially, and if this had been priced properly, you'd have had a situation I think where people would have said, well, look, we're in this situation, we're not paying for a season ticket. In the case of Fulham other clubs, people have paid for season tickets, but we're not paying for a season ticket. That's a reasonable fee. I'll I'll watch it. Instead, what you're going to get, and you know, it's, the caveat on this is it's a Twitter poll, but we did a quick poll on asking people what they would do. And you'd find half the people, more than half, saying they're watching an illegal stream. So it's completely counterproductive. Uh, by setting the price too high, then people are going to find another way of watching it, or half people, half the people will find another way of watching it, where that income won't go to Fulham or to any of the other clubs. But what's more worrying still, I think, from Fulham or should be more concerned about, is a, th- a third of people who said, well, they'll do something else. You know, they'll go and watch an on league team, or they'll, do their gardening or they'll do something else or listen to it on the radio or wait and watch it on match of the day. They won't they yeah. won't even entertain it. So that is where it's a, an own goal. And a, and that is about, it's not about the idea necessarily for being pay-per-view for those games. It's about the price point. And that's where the Premier League collectively and each individual club that voted for it, the 19 out of 20 that voted for it, Leicester didn't, but every other one uh, should really be reflecting on how far they're in touch with the reality of the lives and positions and situation that supporters are in. And it could easily be been dealt with if the Premier League as an organisation had just sought to uh, engage with supporters organisations about the, where the price point, what would be bearable and what would be a suitable price point. Because I, I think if that announcement be made on Friday and they said it was £7 or £7.50, even up to maybe to about £10, people would have said, well, OK, that's reasonable enough. Fourteen ninety five isn't. It's crossed that line, and it's actually made this a whole counterproductive, embarrassing exercise for Premier League, which is entirely avoidable, and I hope will be avoided in the future. It
0: it gives me so many flashbacks to stop the greed, and obviously, Tom, you were involved with that on the day, and Farrell, you were very involved with that on the day. Where actually, what we were almost arguing about was just ten pounds here or there. We weren't saying let fans in for free, and right now, I'm not saying put 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 football on the telly for free. All we're saying is think about your price point strategy. And and, and as you say, Tom, I think probably... I I wouldn't exactly know the maths on this. If you halved that price, the $14.95, I wouldn't be surprised if it was nearly double the amount of people that actually chose to watch that game instead. We're just talking about price point here. I personally think that the way it was, and they were all on Sky or BT, is the the preferable option, but probably living in a bit of a dreamland there. And I just can't believe we're here again, Farrell. I don't know if maybe you've got slight flashbacks to the to the stop the greed thing. It's just as and I guess you nailed it earlier. It's billionaires sitting in a room having no concept what the price of football should be just like they probably don't know the price of a carton of milk.
3: Well, yeah. And I mean, I think that what the clubs would probably say, and they're perfectly entitled to is that if you, if you demand us to be competitive, that they need the revenue to come in. The problem is that I see from it. And Thomas said it time and time again, That, um, why haven't they asked supporters about it? Why have, you know, they're saying, well, you keep saying that we need to be better and we need to be competitive. We need to sign this player, we need to sign that player. And that's why we're raising ticket prices to this level. This is why we've agreed to the £14.95 deal, just so we can get extra bits of revenue in. I totally understand that. But you didn't ask what supporters, you didn't ask any opinion of the supporters. You're basically um, assuming the supporters say, Okay, you want us. You want us to sign that extra player. You want to give an extra contract to that player because of this. We're going to, you know, filter the money from from the supporters themselves. But you ne- you are basically just signed off that contract on the behalf of the supporters without actually asking the supporters what they wanted. You know, if, if it was a case that um, we could be super competitive and sign all the best players in the world, but um, pay per view is going to be two thousand pounds a. a, a a, a game or ticket price is going to raise to be grand, uh, a hundred uh, grand a match, then, you know, there'll be, <laughs> it just be totally ridiculous. But in this situation, I feel like they're just trying to push and push and trying to get away with as much as possible without actually, you know, sitting down and thinking about what is best for the fans here and just saying, well, the fans will agree to anything that we want because they'll just buy into it because we want, they believe that, there is no limit to how much that they would give to the
0: club. I did some fag packet maths and I calculated that let's say 80% of the revenue of this 1495 goes to the clubs and I've got no idea, but let's say sky BT cream, 20% off top for broadcast fees, et cetera. And if you got 30,000 people paying that amount of money, I don't think it will be 30,000, but let's say you do each club would stand to get less than 180,000 pounds per match, which they would scoff at if it was a FA Cup third round prize fee or a Carabao Cup prize fee. Tom, I did a campaign and I want to say that this was more my thoughts, not the thoughts really of Fulhamish as a whole. But I I started that hashtag, don't pay the game. And I said that the only way, realistically, that the Premier League will reverse this decision is if there is not much interest in it. If there's not enough take up, there's not enough money being earned. Do you believe that that is a way that the Premier League will reverse this decision if fans collectively decide I'm not going to watch this match, I'm not going to pay £14.95 to watch this match?
2: Yeah, I think the proof of its success will exactly be in the number of people that pay for each match. And I'm sure they won't uh, publish the figures, but I'll be uh, very interested to see how many people pay for the streams for the games that are involving well clubs like us, us against Sheffield United. At fourteen ninety five, um, it might be different for the uh, the games that Manchester United perhaps might play, and you might you might find that they do okay with some of those. But you'll get re- very low revenue, I think. And you know the big issue here for the Premier League is a number of people that will say, well, I've, there are ways of finding other ways of watching it. There are various yeah. streams you can you can do, and, and the idea that people would say, well, actually, that's going to harm my club, so I'm not going to do that. I think goes out the window if people think they're being Taken for a ride, but with the price that's being proposed, so more people will do that than otherwise would. So it's completely counterproductive, and I think I'm reasonably confident that this won't endure beyond October for a range of reasons. But one of those will be, uh, I think, that the take-up will be very, very low.
0: Well, fingers crossed it does go that way, Tom. And fortunately, it's a pretty raw deal for Fulham fans if it does all go down in November, because we're going to be the one of the only three teams that has to pay this fee three times. And I personally would recommend that you don't pay the fee. What you do with your money is completely up to you, but that was what I would recommend. And I think that collectively as fans, I think we can sway big organizations like the Premier League and football clubs if we do collectively stand together, but you are free to do what you want with your money. And I'm not here to tell you how to spend it. Um, Okay, I think we've done enough on pay-per-view and also big picture as well. As I mentioned earlier, there is plenty of reading out there and plenty of podcasts as well. Uh, Particularly, my recommendation would be Kieran Maguire's Price of Football podcast if you want to really get the lowdown uh, on on all of this stuff. Uh, Kieran was on Fulhamish earlier in the summer and is excellent. And his Price of Football podcast that he does with Kevin Hunter Day is exceptional. Listen, so I would highly recommend that if you want some kind of further listening on the subject. But we must digress because because there is a Fulham match this weekend. So we're going to talk about Sheffield United versus Fulham after a quick break. Would you
1: like the latest Fulham breaking news straight to your phone? I thought you might. If so, sign up to the Fulhamish WhatsApp channel and you'll receive regular match day updates, transfer updates, breaking FFC news and podcast alerts. It's 100% free and you can opt out anytime if you want. To sign up, go to fulhamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp and follow the instructions. That's Fulhamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp.
0: Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Farrell Monk and Tom Greatrix. Okay, let's have a look at Sheffield United Fulham this weekend. Uh, Considering we are on pay-per-view, I guess one thing that's been most disappointing is the fact that the kickoff times are still absolutely horrendous. If you're going to have to pay £14.95, it could at least be three o'clock on a Saturday. Alas, it's 12 o'clock on a Sunday. Um Still not as bad as West Brom, which is 5.30 on a Monday evening. I can't wait to see the figures on that one if they ever get released. I mean, honestly, I think it might be about six people watching it. Um, but anyway, 12 o'clock on Sunday against Sheffield United. And Farrell, mad to say it, but four games in with both teams on zero points, this is about as close to a six-pointer as it gets.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um it's probably... I was discussing with some friends after the the after the, uh, transfer window whether that the transfer window closing it when it did, going into an international break was a good or bad thing. And I think from Fulham's perspective, it probably is quite a good thing considering the amount of influx of players that, uh, that Fulham have had and it gives them time to bed in, especially since I think that all of them, pretty much especially on deadline day, weren't going away on international duty. So they've had... A good ten days or so to to embed and make Motspur Park their home. Um, in regards to the game on Sunday, I think that Fulham are an improving side, whereas Sheffield United are probably a team on a bit of a slide. Um, you know, they they had an exceptional season last year. Make no mistake about it, but they haven't got off to a very good start this this season. They haven't really played particularly well from the stuff that I've seen. Um, Whereas Fulham seem to be getting a slightly better as we go along, um, so you know we know that Scott Parker is, has got a proven track record of changing a mentality of a squad, and he seems to be getting there with this particular set of players. Um, but who knows what's going to happen? On Sunday, considering the crazy nature of the Premier League already this year,
0: Tom, who would you like to see starting on Sunday? Of course, uh, potentially could be debuts for Yoko Anderson, uh, Tosin Adarabayo and of course, Ruben Loftus Cheek. Uh, you imagine at least maybe one of those will will make their way into into the starting eleven. Uh, what kind of lineup would you like to see Scott go with on Sunday?
2: I think there is no risk in playing. All those three players you mentioned, the, the two new centre backs, and I think um, I'm, I'm assuming that they're all fit, and I don't know whether they're not, whether they are or not. But if Loftus Cheek is fit, then um, and then playing him, because I think you know we've got to, we've got to be better than we have been so far, and we won't get many better opportunities to uh, to to test our resolve against one of the teams which is also struggling, um, and perhaps surprisingly, people, you know, as Farrell said, they did well last season. Um, and probably people are slightly surprised about how badly they've started. So, you know, it's, it's an opportunity, I think. Um, and I hope that it's an opportunity that's grasped. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I won't be watching it um, for the reasons we've just discussed. Uh, or I'll be w- watching the highlights later. But I hope there are some highlights to see. And I'm sort of cautiously optimistic that actually we can get our first points on this game.
0: Yeah, uh, it will be very, very interesting to see uh, exactly who makes a start and what Scott goes with, uh, as particularly in a, in the back four, I guess, is going to be the, the most interesting one. And uh, at, at times, the, the back five against Wolves did work quite nicely with kind of Anthony Robinson and Joe Bryan uh, tucking into the defence when when we were defending. Um, But yeah, you'd imagine one of Adorabayo or Anderson will play and of course we've seen the rumours of Hector leaving yesterday for QPR potentially on loan uh, which was very surprising to say the least and I I really hope that doesn't come to fruition. Right, let's get an opposition view uh, on all things ahead of Sunday's game. Uh, Dom spoke to Travelling Blade who is a Sheffield United YouTuber a uh, very good one as well. So make sure you check him out. Uh, and he started off by asking him what made Sheffield United so successful last season?
1: I think, I remember when we started on, um, Chris Wilder said, obviously, because people are going, oh, you're going to still play the same way with your very attacking, overlapping centre-backs. And he said, oh, I'm going to have to like adapt it a bit, but I'm not going to take a wrecking ball to our, tactic, to our tactics. We played in that very same way. Um, whoever we played, whether it be Man City away, Liverpool away, we went to try and attack the game um, we w- we went to win every game if we could, um, and also I think what I think what one thing that was really uh, crucial for us getting that top ten finish and beforehand even pushing for like the top six was uh, how resolute our defence was because we 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 weren't the, we weren't the best at scoring goals really we didn't score too many um, but a lot um, we had a, we'd have a couple of games where mean we've got like three one or two games like that but a lot of the time it would be like one or two goals. Um, and I think our resolute defence, especially on the road, um, earned us a lot of key points. It's always good at home to get a lot of wins. On the away, we got quite a lot of draws on the road, um, but those draws just kept it ticking over. So I think how resolute our defence was last season, as well as Dean Henderson in net, um, meant that, even though we weren't we could we weren't scoring too many goals, um, those goals did get us quite a few points just by how resolute our defence was.
4: So if we talk about obviously, you know, the, the season came to a halt in the the end of March and, you know, you were you 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 guys were going, going great. Everyone was talking about good Sheffield United possibly break into Europe for next season. What do you think changed um when obviously Project Resart started back over in you know over in the summer in June and July?
1: I think it's really hard to like put it onto one thing because it's sort of like the whole team, in every aspect, every every position, seemed to get worse. It wasn't like oh the defense got worse, the strikers every even Dean Henderson wasn't as good. Everyone in every position just was like half the player they were before lockdown. Um, I think one thing that's really cost us um, was the fans not being there. Talk about twelfth man. I really think we're missing that most, and I think we're missing that more than most of the teams. Um, I think we're really missing that, just driving the players on because they're nowhere near what they used to be. And I think one thing that might have got their heads down initially was our first game back was away at Aston Villa and we um, had the infamous ghost goal where we got a, we scored but Hawkeye wasn't turned on um, and we didn't get the goal. So that meant that the 0-0 draw would have been, probably would have been a 1-0 win to us. And I think that seemed to get our heads down and we, we didn't really pick up for quite a while after that. Um, I think one of the next games was away at Manchester United, I believe. Um we had a couple of injuries that game. I think we we were missing two key defenders. Um we couldn't play Dean Henderson and that game against Man United, it was soul destroying to watch because man U, it should have been at five, six nil. They were absolutely all over us. Whereas before in the season they came to Bramble Lane and we had a really, really good game. We ended three all, you know, it was tit for tat and everything. This time they just absolutely walked all over us and 3-0 was actually a compliment to us in the end. and We just kept getting walked over and then something changed. I think we had like a game against Wolves. Really tight, gritty game. Got a late winner. So we beat Wolves. Next next game we beat like Spurs 3-1. Then we beat Chelsea 3-0. You're thinking, Christ, we're better than ever before now. And then after the Chelsea defeat, we just went back to being absolutely useless. Um, silly mistakes really really poor mistakes like just it going through people's legs needlessly uh Egan getting sent off for nothing um just the passing giving the ball away without any pressure on us it was just it was really simple stuff it was like watching people because beforehand we played we played with such a cohesive unit and then where well, it was like clockwork and then after lockdown it was like a bunch of strangers that were playing their first game of football together it was they looked like it was absolute strangers. They didn't know what to do. It, it looked like they didn't even know they had to score a goal to try and win the game. It was just clueless, silly mistakes, and we were nowhere near it. And it looked like we weren't even trying at points, to be honest. It looked, like, it looked like we'd just given up. It was really painful to watch.
4: So if we talk about, obviously, moving into the summer and your transfer business, you brought, obviously, in William Brewster, brought about Aaron Ramsdale, Oliver Burke, Ethan Ampadu and loan. What did you make of Sheffield United's transfer business this summer? Um...
1: I mean I'm actually quite I'm actually quite happy with it all. I think we've um we've improved in squad depth because I think last season, um two of our best players were well, up until lockdown were Baldock and Stevens, which are our wing backs. And they were brilliant well, like I said up until lockdown. But we had no good cover. So if one of them got injured or suspended, we'd have whoever came in was gonna be like nowhere near as good. So I think we brought in people like Maxlow, Jaden but uh Jaden Bogle um who can cover in those positions and just provides a bit of bit of competition. Uh, cause like I said Ender Stevens and George Ball haven't got to the heights they were once at. Um so a bit of competition for them, a bit of squad depth. Uh Ampadu again, I mean, quite important. We've brought him in a defensive cover because uh, Jack O'Connell's going to be out for the season now. Slightly different defensive position. Um I don't think he will stand in for Jack O'Connell, but we still need that defensive cover. Um Obviously Ramsdale's a bit of a bittersweet one because we want a deep obviously he's not he's not as good as Dean Henderson. Um he's i say he's still a very good goalkeeper, he's just a bit below. If Dean Henderson's like a nine out of ten, I say Ramsdale's at least seven and a half. Uh, Henderson and then we've gone come back because of what Man United wanted us to pay for him just to have him on loan. They wanted him to pay they wanted us to pay him like a hundred grand a week, all of his wages for one season alone. He's made a couple of errors here and there. But people forget so did Dean Henderson in some very crucial matches. Um, especially Liverpool at home, he cost us two points that day. It cost us one point that day. Um, he also made some big mistakes. I think he will get better. And also he is a blade through and through, came through our academy, I believe, and he's actually ours now, which is you can't well you can put a price on that, but that is really important rather than having someone on loan and training them up for Man United. Bruce has been brought in because our potency up front at the minute is absolutely woeful. Um I think there's quite a lot of pressure going on into his shot on his shoulders going into the games, um, nonetheless against you this weekend. Um, because we just need something up front because I think Billy Sharps passed it, a little bit club legend, but he's not gonna do anything for us anymore. McBurney, it's not working for him at the minute. I think he looks a bit gangly, a bit clumsy. Um he did all right for the last season, but he just looks a bit ungainly on the ball. Uh, McGoldrick, brilliant number 10, an absolutely brilliant number 10, just struggles to finish. That said, he got a brilliant goal against Arsenal, uh, but he's more like link up play. Uh, Ollie, I think Oli Burke's brilliant because he's just he's got speed. Um he's actually pretty good on the ball as well, but just some actual decent pace. It's something we rarely have at Sheffield United. But I think Rian Brewster coming in. Him, um he's got a great finish on him. Um I reckon he's obviously he's, he's young. Um so we can hopefully develop him. I think the only downside to that deal is the buyback three. I think it's like a Forty million buyback clause by Liverpool in three years. Like I think someone described it as basically a um a fancy loan, basically, you know, a, a dressed up loan deal from Liverpool. But we really need some potency up top. But I just think at the minute, I think we've improved the squad in well we've brought in some squad improvements and we've got a better squad depth, but I still feel like we're in a weaker, weaker position than we were last season. But I don't think that's on base. that's not really based on who's in the squad. Um, it's just based on how well we're playing. Because last season, the same players were playing twice as good as they are now.
4: Yeah. So if we if we look ahead, obviously look at your fixtures you've had so far this season, we've actually played fairly similar teams. Actually, we've, yeah. we've 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 obviously lost to Arsenal, Leeds, and Aston Villa as well. Obviously you lost to Wolverhampton Wanderers as well. What do you think's gone wrong so far this season? Obviously, there was that loss to Burnley on penalties in the cup as well.
1: What I've noticed is just I'm trying to think back to the Wolves game. I think. I think we've still we struggled. We game by game, we're getting maybe not the Arsenal game because they just dominated us for the periods of that. But we're getting closer and closer to how we can play. You can see that it's there. There are hints of it. There are Each each game, it's got a little bit closer to playing as well as we can do. We're not getting there, but you can just see game by game, it's getting a bit closer. So it's like I don't think it's. Uh, crisis point for us yet because you can see that we are getting there. It's like just warming up. It's taking its taking its time we're in four games and we're not even close to where we were. Um, but what it has been, it, over, although the overall game might not have been too bad, it's key points. I mean, the Wolves game, um, defense, bad decision by Lundstrom, next minute 1-0 down in three minutes. Three minutes later, we're 2-0 down in six minutes. And it's just like, been momentary defensive lapses that have just thrown the game out the window. And then no matter how well we've played overall, um, it's just cost us. Same with Leeds game. I think we were actually with a better team that game, um, obviously the bias. But I think we, we stopped Leeds from playing. Obviously, we saw in your game against Leeds how attacking they are, how they just have come down and absolutely you know come down like jets almost down the sides and just tear defense, can de- tear defences apart. We stopped Leeds from playing. Um, we really stifled the game for them. I think we had the better chances. Chances that we should have finished. Their goal, a goalkeeper, Meslier, played the game of his life. But we just didn't take our chances. And then the goal for them, the defence just stood there looking around and the ball's over the top to Bamford. And it was just like, we've played so well all game. And then just something as stupid and careless as that costs us and we get no points and they get three. Um, I mean, the Arsenal game, they—they both their goals were just just tore us apart, really. I mean, there's very little we could have done about that. They just sort of walked through us, you know, we just need to be stronger at the back. Um, the Villa game, obviously, it's a bit of silliness from John Egan getting caught out. I don't think it was a red, but he shouldn't have been caught out by the high ball. Once again, we had a penalty, didn't take it. And then they get a free header. So I think, overall, the blueprints of the style of play that have got us into the Prem and got us that top top 10 finish in the Prem that, um, we, you know, we've become renowned for, that style of play, you can see there's like whispers of it and we're getting a bit closer each game. Maybe not the Arsenal game. You can see it's still there. They're just really, really taking their time to get up to full speed. But because we aren't at full speed, we can't afford any momentary lapses in the back and that's what cost us. You know, Wolves' first game of the season, six 2-0 n- uh, down in six minutes. It was just... It's just staff mistakes like that. And also, what's also going wrong is the few chances we are creating, we can't take to save our life at the
4: minute. We've got no...
1: Potency
4: up top. It seems different to the reason why we failed because we failed simply because we've been incompetent at the back. <laughs> I mean, that that's, yeah. but whereas you guys, it seems, you're obviously looking at your results, you've only, obviously, you only lost by the old goal, except for that Wolves game. And again, you were two, as I said, considered two goals very, in very quick succession. So, so, it's, so you, you, you're saying that it's, you've actually played not. Badly in these games, it's just these moments of lapses, concentration, and this lack, this lack of a a clinical edge, which other teams have had. We, it it feels weird saying clinical edge and Bamford in the same sentence, still. But I mean, (laughs) um, it. So, do you think Rian Brewster could be not the difference, but something that could, uh, so hopefully, turn your scenes around? So, hopefully, not this weekend.
1: I mean, I mean, hopefully, I don't want to put too much pressure on his shoulders, but I think you see, it was like missing chances and you know key chances that are the difference between. Um, winning a game or losing a game, or even just getting a draw, and I think I don't want really to like put all the pressure on his shoulders. Like you're, you're the only one that's going to be able to do this. Uh, but it's just something else. I think he's probably, um, probably more more natural finisher than what we've got in at the minute. Um, given some of his obviously just to watch those compilation highlights. when he when he was at Swansea. Because was he on the loan it for you last season? Then at Swansea.
4: I think I think it was year loan or six months yeah. loan, and he sort of started towards the end of the season. He started scoring goals left, right, and centre, and that was one of the main reasons why I'd say they got it. They got they they, they got like push into the top six. Also helped the Nottingham Forest just were Nottingham Forest <laughs> and <Yeah>. completely <laughs> dropped out of it. But yeah, his goals were crucial for them last season. But obviously, there there is a the step up between obviously a Championship because everyone knows, but. I will, I've always thought when you're when you're a striker, you know where the back of a net is. <laughs> like yeah. the, the, the size of the goal. Well, unless you're Jose Mourinho away in some Moldovan Premier League side, the side the side the size of the goal doesn't change. So if you can be, if you can score goals, I mean we've seen it the likes of. Andre Gray and Charlie Austin when they've come to the Premier League and Glenn Murray as well when they've been clinical in the Championship. They can convert that into the Premier League. Obviously, still a young player. We have seen we saw Tammy Abraham sort of make the move after his loan at Aston Villa to Chelsea last season and scoring a decent amount of goals. So, yeah, I think Rhea and Brewster will definitely add something to your attack because ju- going from like the out- an outside perspective of Sheffield United's attacking options, to me, it seems they've got that Championship slash maybe... Good enough for the Premier League sort of strikers. The likes of um Ollie McBurney, uh McGoldrick, yeah. Billy Sharp. Now getting someone at like Rian Brewster in who everyone knows potent- the potentially he's got. He was part of the under seventeen England World Cup winning winning team. So but if we so if we look if we look ahead to the game, I don't think it is too early to call it a six pointer, is it?
1: <laughs> it feels like it at the minute because you know, we're not used to losing under Chris Wilder, you know. It's just like a new feeling for us. We used to like winning most games. Um I really feel like we're like missing fans. God knows when they go- we're going to be allowed back in to provide that, you know, driving force. for I feel like I I don't know I don't know if this game has the potential to ingrain where the clubs are going to finish up. It just it just feel like I mean I imagine a lot of people will dress it up as a relegation six pointer. Um, I really hope that we've got more potential. Even if we do lose this game, I still believe we have got the potential in us. Um, that we just need to just need to find that last that last piece of the puzzle, maybe that is Rhian Brewster, um, that just unlocks the form we used to have, the way we used to play, unlocks all that, and then we can just climb up the table to a, a steady, comfortable finish, around mid-table, perhaps. Um, whereas, I suppose it's different for you, because, well, this is, for us, everyone says, oh, it's second season syndrome, so we know how well we can play. We, we're playing against teams that we didn't beat or draw against last season. But I suppose, with all of them, you're trying to find your place Find your place if you've got one in the Premier League. Trying to find your feet, it's all about just staying up. Whereas for us, initially it was about getting another top ten. Now it just seemed to be about just staying up. I think it might be a bit too early to call it a relegation six-pointer, but it definitely feels a bit like one at the
4: minute. If we're if we're looking at the two sides, obviously we we spoke about you know your lack of clinical edge yeah. in front of goal and defensive lapses and concentration. But obviously, if Fulham are too. Capitalize uh, this weekend, which would be very tough for us to do. Because I mean, even our last game at Bramall Lane was that mental five-four game when we went up in um, seventeen, eighteen, which when Ryan Session scored that hat trick. Um, yeah. But if you if you look if you're looking at this game and in, in from a Fulham fan perspective, where would you see is the key areas that Fulham need to exploit Sheffield United?
1: I think well, the see What seems seem to be struggling just get like crosses into the box. We just seem to be a bit incompetent at defending them at the minute. Um, but if you've got, I'm not sure, I'm obviously I'm not, um I'm not sure how quick Mitrovic is, but if you can only get balls over the top, if we've got a higher line, um we might be on the attack, so we might be sat quite high. If you can get any balls over the top, I'm not sure if John Egan will be playing, but I love John Egan, he's brilliant, but he does seem to get caught out with a high ball over the top, mistiming the head and not quite getting it, been in the wrong position. Um He struggles to catch up with defenders, often gives away a foul, gets sent off. So high balls over the top um, through to someone to run onto. to. I'd say crosses in from the, the flanks. We seem to be struggling with them at the minute. Um, but Tony's, we'll probably just give the ball back to you every five minutes. So as, as long as you can keep possession fairly well, you should
4: be. Fine. Yeah, I feel like it would just be a game of just giving each other the ball back because of the, the incompet- <laughs> yeah, Incom- yeah. In, in, incompetence at the back. Um, push you for a score prediction for the game. What are you going to go with?
0: I'm going to go with two all. Well, thank you to Dom and to Travelling Blade uh, for giving us a lowdown on all things Sheffield United ahead of that game. As I said, Sunday, 12 o'clock, kick off that one. And I imagine the most interesting part of the day will probably be 11 o'clock when we can find out what the lineup is and also how to find a stream for it. If we're being uh, truth be told, I imagine Twitter is going to be rife on uh, Sunday morning if you want to find a stream. Not that I condone that kind of thing, but I imagine lots of people will be doing it. Right. um, Thank you very much for listening today. Um, Lots to get through, of course, with the match coming up at the weekend and all of the the pay-per-view and the big picture stuff. Thank you very much to my guests today for for giving up their time. Uh, Farrell Monk, thank you very much.
2: Thank
0: you very much. Uh, And Tom Greatrix, thank you very much. Continue fighting the good fight, Tom. Thanks, Zane. All right, we will be back uh, Sunday evening, Monday morning with reaction to Sunday's game against Sheffield United. Uh, Have a good rest of your weekend. Come on, your whites.
2: cast powers some of the world's best podcasts here's a show we recommend
3: this spooky season have a listen to let's talk about myths baby a podcast about greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: A cash right. recommends.